this morning, I'm going to go back to our study, uh, our sermon series in the book of Exodus. Uh, I'm going to start off with a quick review, just to get everybody on the same page before we move, uh, before we move forward. Uh, so the last time we were here, we were in Exodus, uh, we talked about the second set of plagues that were placed on the land of Egypt, um, more specifically uh, on Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt. Uh, I keep repeating this because I want us to realize that God wasn't angry with the whole place. It was the leader. The, this guy is, well, it's not really angry, but he's trying to show him uh, who he is, who God really is. So after the first set of uh, Three plagues. What were the first three plagues again? The river of blood, frogs, and the gnats. Right? Uh, this next set of three plagues began with the plague of flies. Uh, if you guys can remember that. I said that the next two plagues, uh, after the plague of flies, uh, are or have been connected to the plague of flies by some scientists. Uh, because of the nature of the flies that were in Egypt at that time. Remember I said that? Um, some scientists are saying the flies came because of the dead frogs, right? And then the, because of the flies, the livestock died because they infected the livestock, and then they infected the people with the boils. So scientists are, that's what they're saying, that all these plagues are, are connected. But uh, just like what I said, what science is, is, is missing, or what science is missing is the what God is trying to do through these plagues. And I've been saying this over and over again. What is God trying to do through these plagues? It is to answer that question, who is the Lord that I should listen to him? Right? By the way, before I go on, turn off your cell phones. <laughs> okay? I'm giving this time now. Save you the embarrassment for later. Okay? God through these plagues are always answering, he's always answering that question, who is the Lord that I should listen to him. And that's very important because that's going to be the point of today's sermon. And again, but before we get there, I just want to remind you of the three things we learned uh, from that plague, that, that plague of flies from the last time we were in Exodus. First, God saves his chosen people. Second, God does not compromise. You guys remember this? And third, God cannot be cheated. Talked about that the last time I was here. Now, this morning, we're going to move on. We're going to pick up our story um, and take a look at the second and third plagues in this second set of plagues found in chapter 9. Uh, let's read that. Chapter 9, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And the Lord set a time, saying, Tomorrow... The Lord will do this thing in the land. Six, and the next day the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh, uh, sent, and, uh, and Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. 
But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened and he did not let the people go. Uh, let's continue from 8 to the end of the third plague. Uh, and the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from the kiln and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt and become boils, breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses threw it in the air. It became boils, breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils came upon the magicians, upon all the Egyptians. Verse 12, But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them, as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Now, Notice that the second set of plagues still came with a warning. The first, the, the second set of, the second plague still came with a warning, much like the first. Uh, and I want us to notice something at the end of the warning in verse 3. Again, go back to 9 verse 3. What does it say? Behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, donkeys, camels, herds, and the flocks. Notice, it says there, Behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague. Now remember that there was a reference, because there is a little bit of significance to this hand of the Lord reference. In the first plague, after the gnats came, what did the magicians tell uh, Moses and, or sorry, tell Pharaoh? The magicians said, what? This is the finger of God, right? With the gnats. And back then, the gnats was ba really bad, <laughs> right? It was a really bad plague. And the magician said, this is just the finger of God. This time... Moses is referring to the plague that will kill the livestock as what? The hand of God. Now, for some of us, especially for us Filipinos, okay, I've always been taught, you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to get spanking from God. Right? Uh, you know that? I say in Tagalog, wag mo nang intayin paluin ka pa ng Panginoon. So some of us, when we read this, we look, oh no, this is the spank of God coming. And it's a bad thing because we've been taught, and I've been taught that, that God, if you keep doing what you're doing, if you're, you're stubborn, you keep doing what you're doing, he's going to spank you. Is that what this means when it referred to, uh, or where Moses referred to the plague, that the boils and the death of the livestock? Um, is that what Moses is saying here? That this is God spanking the Egyptians. Uh, what's so significant about that phrase, the hand of the Lord? Well, unlike the gnat plague, uh, which mostly caused discomfort to Pharaoh and the Egyptians, these next plagues will cause physical harm to them. How? Like, yeah, the boils, yes. What about the death of the livestock? How would that cause 
how does that cause physical harm to the Egyptians? Well, think about it. If the Egyptians keep cattle and all sorts of livestock, uh, they probably use these animals either to work on their field or for their food. Right? Amen? You guys following? Are you guys awake? <laughs> okay. Right? You think about it. Because I, I said, this is physical harm now to the Egyptians. If the livestock is getting affected, where does the Egyptians use their livestock? Work in the field or for food. If these animals died, it would greatly affect the food supply of the nation of Egypt. Nobody's going to work the field. They're, they won't get any harvest. And there's no animals to, to eat. Um, so it's going to affect the food supply of the whole nation. And if there's a shortage of food, people will starve. And there will be physical harm. Um, boils are pretty self-explanatory when it comes to causing physical harm. So this reference on the hand of the Lord is not God all of a sudden losing his temper and just smacking the Egyptians. This is not it. Um, this is the hand of the Lord. This tells us that the plagues that will come will become more and more severe. So think about it this way. If the finger of God is the gnat, what about five fingers? <laughs> So think about it that way. So this is not God, uh, you know, smacking the Egyptians uh, because they're bad. And we're going to get into this. I'm going to go back to this reference later. Um, that's not about it. It's just about talking about how severe these plagues are going to get. All right? These next uh, plagues are going to get uh, compared to the first four uh, plagues. Uh, and again, what is the reason for these plagues is so that Pharaoh and the Egyptians may know the God of the Hebrews. Okay? But notice again here in the, for the first two plagues, uh, the second two plagues in the second set. The Bible didn't mention if the plagues of the death of the livestock and the plague of boils caused any human casualties. It didn't say that any people died in these plagues. They could have. Right? Starvation or whatever. But it's not mentioned that uh, if there's any human casualties. Why is that? I think it's because uh, in these plagues, even though the, the plagues gets, are, are getting more severe, um, it still shows that, that God is merciful, that God is patient. Um, God is merciful and patient to give Pharaoh and an Egyptians time to repent of their ways. Because we're only, get, we're only in, what, four plagues in? After these two, next two plagues, we're six plagues in, right? How many plagues are there in total? Ten? So the, God is giving them chances, so to speak, to repent. Um, so yeah, I think that's why it doesn't say that anybody died of starvation. It doesn't say that anybody died from the boils. Uh, it's because it's the, the text is trying to show us uh, that God is still merciful. Uh, God is still patient. Uh, that's what's on display here. But God will not wait forever. Go back to the text. It says there um, and the Lord, chapter 9 verse 5, and the Lord set a time. Right? The Lord set a time. He's saying I'm going to do this tomorrow. So there is some kind of end 
through the patience of God. Even though he's long-suffering, even though he's patient, he will not wait forever. There will come a time when God will judge the actions, in this case the Egyptians, um, and will come hard on them, and there will be a time that God will judge each and every one of us. Uh, now, I'm not going to go through, just like what we did before, I'm not going to go through each plague and tell you what, which God it's aimed at or what happened. I already talked about that the last time I was here. You want to learn about the boils? Watch the last sermon. Um, what I want us to focus on on this part of the story is this. However severe these plagues get, God's purpose for them is always good and is always loving. However bad these plagues get, God's purpose for them is always good, and I would say always loving. See people's reactions already? How is that? If God gave me boils, <laughs> I wouldn't call that good. I wouldn't call that loving. If God took my firstborn... I wouldn't call that good. Who would call that good? And loving. Nobody. But that's what I'm going to try to argue for today. Uh, God's purpose, however severe these plagues get, always good, always loving. And again, remember, ultimately these plagues were sent by God as a response to Pharaoh's statement in chapter 5. Who is the Lord that I should listen to his voice? Okay? Ready? Awake? This is the important part. Okay? This morning, my aim is to show you that. Is to show you how God's purpose for suffering okay, and pain is ultimately to reveal himself more to those who are suffering and are in pain. Okay? That's my purpose, my aim this morning, to show you that God's purpose for suffering is to reveal himself more to those who are suffering and are in pain. In, in other words, even in suffering and pain, God's goal is still for us to ultimately know him more and know him more intimately. To do that, we're going to look at two guys, two characters in the Bible. First is Pharaoh. Second is Job. Both suffered. You agree with that? Pharaoh suffering right now in our story. He's getting boils. All his cows and all his dogs are dead. Meanwhile, Job, same thing. Did, bo did Job get boils too? Yeah. Did his livestock die too? Yes. Pharaoh's first son died. What about Job? Ten children died. <laughs> so both of them have been suffering. Both of these guys have been suffering. And I'm saying God's purpose for both is so that both of them will get to know God more. I believe that that's the purpose for the plagues that happened in Job's Life, and that's the purpose of the plagues that are happening here in Pharaoh's life in Egypt, right? Um, 
So uh, let's look at it um, from the Bible's uh, standpoint. Um, let's go to John 17, 1 to 3. You guys read that? You guys read it out loud. Okay, so you, I just want you to see this, and again, I want you to watch this, read this, and put it, put it somewhere there. We're going to come back to this later. So ultimately, my, my point is, in both Job and Pharaoh, they're both suffering, but both are, uh, God's purpose for both is so that God may know, or may, so that they may know God more, right? Jesus, in John 17, 1 to 3, especially in verse 3, what did Jesus say what eternal life is? Eternal life is what? Read it from your Bibles. Can you guys flash it again? Verse 3. This is eternal life that they know you. So from Old to New Testament, this is what I'm trying to show you. God's purpose is for us to know him. Even eternal life is for us to know him. In fact, if you think about eternal life, it's unending, right? It's just forever. Why do you think God promised Eternal life to those who believe in Christ. Because it takes an eternity to know God. <laughs> Think about that. Right? That's his ultimate purpose for him to be fully known. That's the lesson that we need to understand and learn from these next two plagues. Is that God wants to be known as the only true God. That's the reason for the plagues in Egypt. And I believe that this is also the reason why God allowed Satan to inflict such pain in the life of Job. Now, it leads us to a problem. What's the problem? The problem is called pain. Suffering equals pain. There's a problem that we need to solve. The problem of pain. C.S. Lewis, um, Lewis wrote uh, this. And I quote, We can ignore even pleasure. Okay? We can ignore even pleasure. But pain. Insist upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So I was asking myself, why would God do that? Why does God reveal himself to us the most in suffering and pain? Right there. In pleasure, God whispers. Speaks to us through our conscience. 
but shouts <laughs> through our pain. Why do you think that is? Simple. We're all stubborn. Hmm? Who here is not stubborn? I know I am. I don't listen right away. Sometimes you have to yell at me. Right? No, it's true. That's why that, that's there. <laughs> all of us are like that. We need to get yelled at for us to listen and for us to change our attention span, our attention to. We need to be yelled at. And God uses suffering and pain for that. He uses suffering and pain to get our attention. And in here lies the problem of pain. Okay? What is the problem? The problem is no human being likes to suffer. No human being likes to be in pain. Nobody. So what do you do when God shouts at you through suffering and pain? The tendency is to what? No. <laughs> you run away. Right? Just like what we do with any kind of pain and suffering. We tend to run from it. We don't want to suffer. We don't want to experience pain. Now, some can argue uh, that there are people who like to be in pain. <laughs> there, there are some, they're called masochists. Right? Masochists, they love pain. But for these people, experiencing pain is pleasurable. So are they really in pain? No. Right? For them, pain is not experiencing pain. <laughs> Do you get what I'm saying? These masochists, so it's still true for them that they don't want to experience pain. Even the masochists don't want to experience pain. But generally, so generally speaking, everyone, all human beings, they don't like pain. Nobody likes to suffer, whether it is physical, mental, spiritual. No one enjoys being in pain. And that's the root of the problem of pain. Why? Because if that's the case then how can we come to God? If we run away from pain, and if pain is God's way to reveal himself more to us, how do you come? Can't come. On the, other, on the other hand, also, not only can we not come to God, it's hard to think of God as loving because of the problem of How do you do that? How, how can God be loving if he allows pain and even uses pain for us to know him more? Now, it's easy to understand this problem if the pain and suffering is the consequence of doing wrong. All of us, when we are in pain and suffering, our first thought is, oh, because I, I forgot to pray last night. That's why. Or I didn't read my Bible. <laughs> That's why my car crashed. That's why I have gout. That's why. <laughs> because I didn't do something that God wanted me to do. And when you look at Pharaoh's case, easy, right? That's why we look at Pharaoh. It's like, yeah, good. You deserve pain and suffering. He's arrogant. He refuses to surrender to God. And that's how most people view it. Uh, and this kind of mentality is called karma. 
the karma mentality. It makes sense because karma says when you do bad, what? Bad things happen. When you do good, good things happen. Problem with that is that it's not true. <laughs> Some people, there are a lot of people that do bad. Drug dealers are bad. But they're rich. <laughs> right? Psalm 73, right? All these bad guys, they're not rich. They're not just rich. They're fat. They're healthy. They have... What about the good people? Do everything good go to good people? No. So karma, it doesn't make sense, but it's the easiest way to understand the problem of pain because it makes sense in our heads. <laughs> but when you think about it, it's not true. Especially when you look at the life of Job. When you can't apply karma to the life of Job. Right? Why? Because Job lost everything. His health. Uh, he lost his kids. He lost his possessions. And the most painful thing in Job's life is that he, his wife survived all of that. Imagine. And his wife is the nagging wife. Remember? What does your wife say? Job, just give up. Just, why don't you just kill yourself, Job? Instead of just stop complaining, just kill yourself. His wife survived all of that. That's the most painful, I think, thing that happened to Job. That he was left with a nagging wife. <laughs> We're going to talk about that on Father's Day. <laughs> right? But did Job deserve it? No. Job was good. In fact, the reason why Job is in pain is because he was good. Right? It says, Job 1.1, Job was blameless and upright who feared God and turned away from evil. Talk about having the wisdom of God. Job had it already. He didn't need to learn it. <laughs> he had it already. But why is he in He lost everything. He even regretted the day he was born. <laughs> chapter 3. And then his friends came. Right? His friends came after chapter 3. Check out Job 4.17. His friend Eliphaz came. Uh, trying to help Job. How did Eliphaz uh, try to help Job? Read. Can mortal man be in the right before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? So this guy's trying to make Job feel better. And he's saying, you know what? Nobody is uh, perfect in front of God. Nobody is upright. It's because of your sin that you are in pain. Eliphaz's understanding of pain is based on karma. You do good, good happens. You do bad, bad happens. And Job is telling Eliphaz here that the reason why all these bad things are happening is because Job is a sinner. And because of his sins, God punished, spanked him right, through the series of plagues that, plagues that happened in Job's life. Question is, again, is that true? Are the bad things that happened to us caused by our sinful actions? Who says yes? Are the bad things that happened in your life caused by your sinful actions? Who says yes? 
who said no. Okay. The answer is partly. <laughs> it's partly. For example, if you're a smoker and you find out that you have terminal lung cancer, you can't cry out to God and say, God, why me? You smoked. Or gout. If you have gout, those gout people here, you have gout, you didn't just get there. You did something. What you do? Ah, eat steak, beans, what, what else? That's why you're in pain. So partly, <laughs> you're at fault. Why? Because there's always consequences for our actions, and that's true. It's true that there's always consequences for all our actions, good and bad, right? But in the story of Job, not true. <laughs> he was good. There's a similar case in John 9, right? In John 9, there's a story of a blind man who was, um, Jesus healed. Uh, before uh, he healed this blind man, uh, the disciples saw the blind man and said, Rabbi, who sinned? The man or his parents that he was born blind? Same theology as Job's friend. The disciples had the same theology as Job's friends, right? Um, they think that since this guy did bad, he, he got bad. Right? He became, or he, he's blind. He's born blind. So they, they think their theology is that, or the way they know God is that God's judgment on sin is that of instant retribution. You know what that means? Like when you sin, right away God will punish you. Right away. They think that that's who God is. That God uh, smacks or that God follows people. And that's the purpose of it. Is the purpose of it is because you sinned. That's not the case. And look at what Jesus answered to his disciples when they said this. Check out John 9, 3. You guys read it again. Same thing. Why did God allow this man? To be blind, born blind. Not because he sinned, Jesus said, but so that the works of God might be displayed. Or that God may reveal himself, make known himself to the people that are there. Right? Here we see that our view, our knowledge, and our relationship with God determines how we understand the love of God when we are in pain or when we are suffering. Right? Here, we can see that in this verse because God sometimes uses our suffering and pain in order to display His works. Let me put it this way. If God is good, and He is good, well, somebody is busy. Yeah, a lot of phone calls. God is good all the time, right? And God is love all the time. If that is true, then we, this, then we must think of God this way. We must also think that if God is good all the time and God is love all the time, then no matter what happens to us, that's still true, right? It's got to be True, and the reason we're able to say that is because God is also unchanging. He never changes. In fact, that's the reason why we can trust him. 
is because he never changes. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Therefore, I believe that the answer to the problem of pain is that, to believe that God's purpose for suffering must also reflect God's character. And this means that if God is unchanging, then even in suffering, he must still be good and he must still be loving. I believe that in order for us to see that, God's goodness and love in our suffering, we must view pain and suffering as God shouting at us to get our attention. So he revealed himself to us even more. Think about it again. What is God's greatest revelation of himself? Or who? Or should I say who? Jesus. How did God reveal the reality of Jesus to us? Through suffering. That's his greatest revelation. Through the suffering of his own son. So in suffering, in pain that Jesus endured on the cross, God revealed his justice and wrath. At the same time, suffering and the pain of Christ on the cross revealed his grace Mercy and love. C.S. Lewis, again, in the book, uh, you, should, you should read this book, the, the Problem of Pain. He said, and I quote, The problem of reconciling human suffering with the existence of a God who loves is only insoluble as long as we attach a trivial meaning to the word love. <laughs> you stop. What does it mean to give a trivial meaning to the word love? It means that you think of love as just somebody being good to you. Somebody making much of you. That's how much they love me. If they don't get angry at me, if they don't rebuke me, if they don't call out my mistakes. That's our idea, trivial meaning of the word love that we give to love. To be made much of. If you're not being made much of, you're not being loved. And for us... <laughs> For a lot of us, that's, that's how we view love. Oh, you didn't greet me. Happy anniversary. You don't love me. Oh, I didn't get my Mother's Day gift last week. I got it this week. It's late. You don't. Why? Because they're supposed to be making much of you, right? That's how, that's how I know you love me, right? If you make much of me. See, Lewis is saying no. The Bible is saying no. You put a trivial meaning to God, it will what? Ruin the meaning of love. Right? It says there, if you, put, if you do that and look on things as if man were the center of them. Right? Man is not center. God does not exist for the sake of man. Man does not exist for his own sake. We were only made we were not primarily made that we may love God, although we, we are made for that too, but that God may love us. That we may become objects which divine love may rest. Well pleased. We can't say that the love of God is just God being good. Not, no pain, no suffering. Look at Hebrews 12. Can you pull that up? It's not on my notes, but let's, let's read that anyway. Hebrews 12, I think verse 
Starting from verse 10. Turn to that myself. Hebrews 12, starting from verse 10. For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems what? Beautiful, great, happy, painful. Rather than pleasant, but later it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. But look at the verse before it. Yes, discipline is painful. But in that pain, what is God trying to do? He is trying to what? In verse 10. He is trying to discipline us for our good. That we may share. Share. Get to know him and share. Get to know his holiness and share in it. Same point. Through suffering and pain of discipline, God is revealing himself to us. Same. It's always going to be that way on this side of heaven. Why? It, did God create suffering? Did God create pain? Is that, is that the point of this whole thing? No. It's because we live in a sinful world. And because there's sin, there is suffering. Now God in Romans 8.28 8, says what? He's able to work everything for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, if God is working in our world and all he has to work with is suffering and pain because of sin, how else is he going to reveal himself to us? Well, through whatever is in here because that's where we're at, right? So we can't look at suffering and be like, no, God is not... Loving. That's, that's, that's all he has to, 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 to communicate to us who he is. But for us to see that, we need to understand what it means to be loved by God. And it's not all happy times. There's discipline involved. And it's the same thing with us. If you truly love somebody, you tell them, Straight up. Even if it hurts their feelings sometimes. You have to. That's, that's how we're taught to love. That's how God loves. And I believe that similar experiences of Pharaoh and Job in suffering and pain shows us, shows us that. That God, even though Pharaoh is this bad guy, Job is this good guy, God loved them the same enough to use suffering and pain in order to communicate to them who he really is. To the bad and to the good. Pharaoh right? experienced suffering as a display of God's justice so that he may know God. On the other hand, Job experienced suffering uh, and serves as a display of God's love and salvation for the same reason. Where can we find that reason? Job 42, verses 1, and 1 to 6. Let's read that. Job 42, verses 1 to 6. Still not there. Job, Job 42. Job 42, 1 to 6. 
Then Job, okay, this is after God already told him, Job, who are you to question me? Uh, were you there when I created the world? Were you there when I created this? Were you there? Can you run the world? No, you can't. This is Job's answer. Job answered and said, I know that you can do all things, that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. And then God, and then Job said, Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. And then what happened when God spoke? This is what Job says. This is our key verse. I had heard of you by hearing of the ear, but now my eyes sees you. Response, therefore, I despise myself and repent. Dust and ashes. So how did the suffering affect Job? Instead of just knowing God by ear, he now saw this is who God really is. And most of us, because we of the problem of pain, because of running away from suffering and pain, we only know God by I've heard of him. Great. Uh, there are a lot of people that have heard of me but don't know me. <laughs> and sometimes what they hear is the wrong thing. <laughs> it's so funny to Atiros. <laughs> but that's true, right? Because you hear a lot of things. Right? You hear a lot of things. And people who, who, who just have that kind of, you know, relationship with you. Oh, yeah, I've heard of him. I don't really know. Job's the same way. He was blessed. God blessed him with all his children, all his possessions, all it. But at the end, the problem with Job is that he didn't really know God. So God said to Satan, here. Right? Remember what I said? God said to Satan, here, use my, use my boy, Job. Job is good. Because what's Satan saying? Yeah, that, your boy Job, yeah, he's only like that because he's blessed. So God says to Satan, here, take my boy Job, try him. Just don't kill him, but you can try him. Is that God being, you know, sadistic? No, because God has a purpose. What's his purpose? So that Job may know him. Same with us. Right? Same with us. That's God's purpose or pain and suffering. Because listen, can you guarantee me that your day tomorrow will be amazing? Everything will happen the way it is. Everything's going to be good. No problems. Can you guarantee that? Anybody? Can you guarantee that something's going to go wrong tomorrow? Yes. You can guarantee that. You can guarantee something is going to go wrong tomorrow. I don't care what it is. You can guarantee, but you can't guarantee the good, that, some, that tomorrow is going to be all good, no problems. Nobody can guarantee that. Why? Because we live in that world of pain and suffering. You can't run away from it. So when God sends some your way, plagues of pain and suffering your way, don't run. Because God's purpose for that is good. What's his purpose? So you may know. You may know him even 
more? And that's the question I'm going to leave to you today. By faith, do you see God revealing himself to you even through pain and suffering? Can you see that by faith? I know all of us have problems. But do you see that God, what God is doing in your problems? Do you see how God is revealing himself to you even in pain and suffering? Next question is, how do you respond to that? Do you rebel like Pharaoh? Or do you repent like Job? How is our response to pain and suffering? Rebel like Pharaoh, harden our hearts even more towards God? Or repent like Job? Think about it. Right, let's pray. The Lord bless you and Gracious, gracious, gracious.